Amen. I want to continue to encourage this church family in the art of neighboring love where you live. As we have taken the last three weeks and focused on what it means to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as we uh, love ourselves. So thank you again, uh, Pastor Stu and, and Daniel, for joining me in that sermon series. And I know our connect groups are still studying what it means and how to apply those principles of being a, a good neighbor. So it's just good to be back with you today, and I'm, I'm blessed. Had a great time last week. Got to preach nine times in the great state of North Carolina, and so I um, uh, caught a little bit of a, a bug, a cold when I was over there, and so that's why I sound a, a little bit like this, a little strange. But I also want to add my welcome to our guests. God bless you. No accident whatsoever that you are here today, and I'm grateful to God that you have come to Great Hills Baptist Church, the Radiant Church, so that uh, you can worship the Lord, you can be encouraged. And uh, I really hope that before you leave today, and, and membership, if y'all can uh, help me with this. Right after the service today, we're going to pause for a few minutes and have a, a business conference. But if you see somebody you, you don't recognize, just reach out to them and say hello and uh, uh, get their name and just encourage them to, to come again. As Stu mentioned a moment ago, we've got some great things going on in our church. And one of those great things is the Promise of Hope retreat that's coming up this weekend. Uh, my wife, she shared with me very kindly. She said, now, you know, I'm going, so you know what that means. And that means I get the beast. I get the dog. You know, I got to take care of uh, Zila. And so Ashley will uh, be here Friday night and uh, Saturday. I know you ladies are going to have a wonderful time. I hope you'll sign up and come. And, you know, it's just something special when just women get together and just when guys get together. Something really sweet and dynamic about that. So I hope you take advantage of it. I don't know about you, but I'm really excited about being back in the book of Revelation. We've only been studying Revelation for two years. Can you believe that? I mean, it's just like two years, and uh, we'll be two in January. But today's text is Revelation chapter 20, and I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles and uh, be prepared to hear a word from the Lord. I pray that God would speak to you and encourage you, because Revelation at times can be very, uh, well, how shall I say this? It can be very intense. It can be very passionate. It can be very powerful. But then there are times like Revelation chapter 20 when it's just all good news. I mean, God just, just reigns. I mean, Jesus comes. He saves the day. If you remember last time, we looked at the second return, the second advent, the coming of Christ when He splits that uh, heavenly sky and He comes down on His white steed and, and He brings His royal train with Him and He comes and he, and he wins the day. He saves the day. And now chapter 20 is when Jesus Christ comes again, and we get to read about his millennial reign. The millennium is simply meaning a thousand years. And we get to share with you today uh, what it means about Jesus Christ, how he wins, and his triumphant, glorious, powerful millennial reign. And Dr. David Jeremiah, who pastors a wonderful church out in San Diego a couple years ago, was able to go out there and worship with the body of Christ at Shadow Mountain. What a beautiful place, a beautiful church. And uh, Dr. Jeremiah is in his 70s and still going strong, preaching the Word of God. And he tells the true story. He was in San Diego, and he, was, he said, on that rare occasion when I went grocery shopping, he said, I hardly ever go grocery shopping. Guys, how many of y'all go grocery shopping? Okay, yeah, I do too sometimes. How many of you enjoy it? Oh, mercy. And so he says, I was grocery shopping, and he said, I got in line to pay, and I noticed the tabloid magazines. Do y'all know what those are? Those good-for-nothing magazines that capture your attention right before you pay, so you'll buy one of those. Well, anyhow, he goes, I looked, and one of the, 
articles really caught my eye, so this is what I did. I looked this way. I looked that way to make sure no church member saw me. And so I picked it up, and uh, I began to uh, read this fascinating article, kind of a sidebar, side note. This happened to me at the airport Thursday morning when I flew into Austin Bergstrom Airport. I landed, and I went out. Uh, Mark Cook was picking me up, and I had my luggage with me. And I kid you not, this gentleman, and uh, he, he's a security guard, and he walked right up beside me, got that close to me, and said, I know who you are. And it scared me. I thought, oh, my word, what have I done? He goes, and he wasn't smiling. You know, he says, I know who you are. And I was like, I thought he was about to say, and you need to come with me. And I was like, I'm Brother Danny. You know, I'm just a pastor. He goes, he started smiling. He says, I know you are. I've been at your church the last six weeks, and we've been coming. I thought, whoo, glory. Amen. I'm glad. He's a friend. And he's probably here to, today because he said he had this weekend off. But anyhow, Dr. David Jeremiah, he said that the article that captured me was, can we have global peace in today's world? And he said, you know, as I looked at that article, I was reminded of how it captures the heart of the, the people today that everybody wants peace. Everybody wants personal peace. We want peace in our homes. We want peace in our world, peace in our lives. And so today, this text talks about precisely that, how to have the peace of God when Jesus himself reigns on planet Earth. So let me read it to you. It's chapter 20. We'll go through verses 1 through 10. And John says, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven. Having the key to the abysmos is the Greek word, abyss, the bottomless pit, and a great chain was in the hand of this angel. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. Notice the fourfold appellation, the fourfold description of the devil. He is known as the dragon, the serpent, the devil, and Satan himself. And that angel bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. John said, also saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast, that's another word for the Antichrist, had not worshipped the beast or his image, and they had not received his mark. Remember the mark, the 666. They had not received this on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This, John says, is the first resurrection. Blessed Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and they shall reign with him a thousand years. Now verse 7, for the sixth time, now in the thousand years. Six times in seven verses, these, this number is mentioned. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. And he will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. The Bible says they went. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. Now, the beloved city, we know, is Jerusalem, all right? And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil 
who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. So there you have that unholy trinity. You've got the devil, the antichrist, and the false prophet, and Jesus cast them all into the lake of fire, and I'm going to be there, and I'm going to rub some dirt in his face and kick some ashes up his nose. I'm going to say, praise God, you are done, forever done, hallelujah, and they're there. And that's just my addition, that's not Holy Scripture, but I'm kicking this pulpit and I'm telling you, I'm getting excited about it. And they will, verse 10, they will be tormented day and night forever and forever. Can we give this word? Jesus Christ prevails and He wins. That's the end of the story. He, he wins. Today we get to talk about the millennial reign of Christ. Some have argued, well, you know, the Bible only mentions the millennial reign one time in the Scripture, so really we should not take it very seriously, and we certainly should not build a whole theological construct upon one mention of millennium in the Bible. And I do disagree because not only is it mentioned one time, it's actually mentioned six times in seven verses. And I personally believe our hermeneutics is going to have a hard time in the Old Testament. If we do not have a millennial reign of the future Messiah in our theological paradigm, because much, much of the Old Testament, especially in Isaiah and Ezekiel, it foresees a day, a lion lying down with the lamb, a day when there will be peace perpetual peace here on this earth, and I'm one of those who believe that it's going to be a literal thousand-year reign of Christ here on planet earth. Now, there are four different interpretations of the millennial reign. You may want to jot these down if it helps you in your Bible study. The first one is called postmillennialism. Now, post, the prefix post always means after. So, postmillennial, postmillennial means there's going to be a thousand years of utopia, There's going to be a thousand years of peace and prosperity and blessing without the physical presence of Christ. There's just going to be perpetual peace. Then after a millennial, a thousand years of peace, Christ will come again. That's post-millennialism. Well, the problem with that, many theologians and scholars believe that, at least up until the 20th century. What happened in the 20th century that would critique and devastate post-millennialism? Well, it's called world wars. After World War I, people were like, wow, I don't think things are getting better. They're getting worse. After World War II, they said, we know they're not getting better. They're getting worse. And evil, look at the evil in Hitler. How could such evil exist? Well, that's post-millennialism. Number two is called amillennialism. Most of my professors, when I went through Southwestern Seminary, were amillennialists. I wasn't, but I, I heard them, and, and to this day, I, I understand amill, and I, and I appreciate what, what it stands for. The alpha privative is the ah, the a. Whenever the alpha privative in Greek or in English is prefaced a word, it negates the word. For example, theism means what? It means God. Atheism, atheism, alpha privative means the negation, no God. And so amillennialism means no millennium. No millennium in the sense of a literal thousand-year reign of Christ here on planet Earth. They believe, the amillennialists believe, that Christ is currently reigning, And if there is some kind of thousand-year reign, it's not to be taken literally but figuratively, and it means the reign of Christ in heaven, or it means the reign of God 
on earth through his church, through his people. And I respect that. I, I don't agree with it. But you know what I found out? I don't have to agree with everybody on everything. I just need to agree with Jesus and, and his word. And by the way, eschatology, we may disagree and, and agree in eschatology, but that's okay. We've got to agree on the fundamentals. Amen. The third one is the premillennial. The third one is the right one. Premillennialism means pre, the prefix means what? Before. So before a thousand years. It says Christ will come again. And uh, Revelation chapter 20, and he will reign for a thousand years. Prior to that time, you're going to have ups and downs and upheavals and chaos and moments of peace, but eventually uh, it's going to be a great climactic moment, the, the great tribulation, battle of Armageddon, then boom, Jesus comes and reigns a thousand years. Now, there are actually two dimensions to premillennial eschatology. There is, first of all, called the historic. Some of you are looking at me like, I didn't think this was seminary, brother Dan. I thought this was church. What are you talking about? Okay, the first one is called historic premillennialism. And it means that there is no rapture, that there will never be a rapture of the church. It, Jesus Christ will just come, boom, we all go through the great tribulation. Jesus comes and we reign with him a thousand years. And People who really influenced me, they, they really influenced me in seminary. And I, I was like, wow, I think that's actually right, isn't it? But then I find myself gravitating back to my roots in the dispensational premillennial position that says, yes, there will be a rapture. At least I sure hope there's going to be a rapture. And Jesus takes us out of here. Seven years of tribulation. He comes again with his saints and reigns for a thousand years. Oh, there's one more. Remember, there's four. It's called panmillennialism. It's all going to pan out in the end. Okay. That's what some of you are like, that's the one I believe right there. It's a, God knows he's in control. It's all going to be okay. There are three things I want to, to point out to you regarding the millennial reign of Christ in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. Okay, now I've got you an outline. I want you to jot these notes down and, and please feel free to, to take notes. I, I would encourage you to because uh, Revelation is deep, it's intense, it's heavy, and, and if you aren't taking notes and committing some things to memory, it, it will be so easy to forget. The first thing I want you to notice with me is Satan is bound. Praise God. Satan is bound. Here again we find the prominence, you know, the very conspicuous nature of these angels, these angelic beings. I mean, how prodigious, how powerful of an angel must it be in Revelation 20, verse 1, where he has the chain, the keys, and he locks up the evil one, the, the devil himself, and he places him in the bottomless pit. Now, I mentioned a minute ago the fourfold description of Satan, and let me go over these with you one more time. First of all, he's called a dragon. The devil is referred to as a dragon 12 times in the apocalypse, 12 times. The book of Revelation, he's referred to as a dragon. Now listen, any way you size it up, a dragon is a dragon, it's a hideous beast of a, of a thing. I mean, and that's what John wants you to connote in your mind's eye. He wants you to think, when you think of devil, don't think of some angel of light, some deceptive ploy. Think of a dragon. Think of, Peter says, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Number one, a dragon. Number two, a serpent. What image do you have in your mind when you think of a serpent? My mind goes back to the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings when the evil one in the form of that cunning, crafty serpent tempts Adam and Eve. Number three, he's called the devil. And this word, diabolos, simply means the slanderer, 
and a malicious gossip. Interesting. Diabolos, devil, means slanderer and a gossip. Number four, satanos or satanus, the word Satan, is used 53 times. Come on now. 50. Fifty-three times he's mentioned in the Bible as Satanos, and that word simply means an adversary or someone who opposes God or opposes the people of God. I, I like to describe the devil these two ways. Number one, he is crafty at deception, and number two, he's powerful in accusation. Crafty in deception and powerful in accusation. You say, well, why would you give so much attention to the devil? Because the Bible does. I tell you, one of the greatest arguments for the existence of God is the presence of evil. If there is a palpable, powerful evil in this world, surely there is a concomitant, there is another deity, powerful God. Surely there has to be a God who is stronger than the false God, the devil himself. And there is. I like the way one writer put it. He says, the multiplying of names for Satan is doubtless an attempt not only to identify him clearly, but to do so in a way that establishes the consummate evil of his being. He is the dragon. He is the snake, involved apparently in the initial temptations in the Garden of Eden. The writer goes on to say, he is the one who hurls accusations, diabolos, and he causes disruption. He is the ultimate enemy and the adversary, satanas, of all. Ten days ago, October the 1st, Thursday morning, like any normal morning at the community college there in the great state of Oregon, young man walks in and he has guns blazing. He blows the brains out of his professor and then he begins to call people out. The more I read this, the more harrowing it is. And I've listened intensely and I've read articles. And so I, I, I want to recreate for you what happened on that faithful day about 11 o'clock on the community college campus on October the 1st, that Thursday fall morning, when he walks in the room, he had already been arguing with the professor. They said him and the professor, even the first week of school, you could tell this young man was a little bit disturbed and he was angry. First thing he did, he walked in, he just blew the professor's brains out and said, everybody get on the floor. And then he began to systematically say, you in the purple sweater, stand. Oh, and then after he took care of that one, he said, okay, you in the back that you got your head down, stand. He had complete control. He said, stand, state your religion. If you said you're a Christian, he blew your brains out. If you said you're a Muslim or some other religion, he'd shoot you in the leg. One of the young ladies in that room told her dad, and he said on CNN News, he said these words. My daughter said, Dad, when he walked in the room, he laughed, but it wasn't a human laughter. It was this hideous laughter. And dad, he also said, if you're a Christian, I'm about to kill you. You're going to go see your God. And here's what I'm going to do. When this is all said and done, I'm going to hell. And Satan will welcome me with open arms when I see him face to face. That's why the Bible talks a lot about it, because it's real. And one of the great arguments for the existence of God 
is what I just described to you. There is a palpable, powerful, evil presence in this world. Listen, it's not an issue of gun control. It's not an issue so much of mental illness. It is more an issue of demonic possession of human beings that controls them and makes them do these horrible, harmful things. Now, I know mental illness. I know it exists, and I know people need help, but also know people need Jesus Christ. They need the Son of God in their lives to take away and strip away this evil in their lives. And by the way, guys, the devil, he plays for keeps. Can you imagine? When that young man dropped into hell, Satan embraced him, all right, with a fiery torrent and said, you fool, you fool. You think I was on your side, you fool. I'm currently reading a new book by Priscilla Shire on the armor of God. Let me go ahead and just recommend it to all of us. Even that one can read it. It's written for women, and I know I'm not of the female gender, but I uh, picked it up at Lifeway the other day, and I'm about well, a, good, a good ways through it. I'm using it as my quiet time. Priscilla Shire is the main actress in the movie War Room. Powerful speaker, Jennifer, great public speaker with, with women and a great um, writer. And in this book, she goes through some wonderful descriptive helps on how you and I, every day, can get up, get our battle armor on, and do battle with the evil one. And one of the things she said, I'm going to talk about this later in my sermon, but one of the things she grabbed me with was this. She said, whatever your enemy is, is not your enemy. Whatever your real problem is, that's not your real problem. Your real problem behind it is the evil one. The Bible says Jesus Christ himself said he is a liar from the beginning. He is a murderer from the beginning. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill. Listen now. Steal from you. Kill you. Destroy you. Jesus Christ himself said these words. But I have come, John 10, 10, that you may have life. Have it more abundantly. Praise God. God, there you have the two great powers in this world. You have the evil one who seeks to kill you, deceive you, accuse you, destroy you. And Jesus Christ says, I come to whoop him good, throw him into hell forever, and to give you eternal life. I don't know about you, but you've got to serve one or two. I'm serving him. I'm serving Jesus Christ. Verse 2 says, the angel binds him up, praise the Lord, binds him up for a thousand years. You know, numbers are used often in the book of Revelation. Seven churches, seven pastors, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. Seven is used a lot. 12,000 uh, witnesses, um, 144,000 witnesses, 12 times 12. So, I'm, again, I'm of the persuasion that when John says a thousand years six times, I think he is saying a thousand years literally. I may be wrong, but this is my position. This is what I hold to. This is, to me, the most natural, literal reading of the text. So you have a thousand years. Dr. Patterson at Southwestern Seminary says a thousand years should be taken literally in an anticipated fulfillment, not only of what is promised here, but also what is promised extensively through most of the Old Testament prophets, end of quote. Verse 3, the devil is bound. He is unable to do that which he thoroughly enjoys, and that is accuse people and deceive people. But after a thousand years, he will be released. In fact, John says he must. Did y'all catch that in verse 3? D-E-I. 
It's the same Greek word that Jesus used in John 3, 7. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must. Now, he says you must be born again. And, and, and John says it is imperative. He must be released. And Dr. Robert Thomas, who helps me greatly in the study of the book of Revelation in MacArthur Seminary, uh, John MacArthur School, he says this. He says, we, we, we just got to be at peace with really not knowing there is an element of mystery here that we will, we will not be able to figure out. I'm so glad because Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, brother and sisters, there's just some things you don't figure out. You just got to trust God. You got to believe, and then you'll see it in the end. But back to Dr. Thomas, this is his quote. He says, this is hidden in the counsels of the mind of God. Yet one purpose may be a partial answer, he says, to the dilemma, the conundrum of why is Satan bound a thousand years, then he's released. Dr. Thomas says, it's good to note that through his release, the whole universe will see that even after a thousand years of his imprisonment and an ideal reign on earth, Satan is incurably wicked. And men's hearts are still perverse enough to allow him to gather an army of such an immense size. End of quote, what we read about just a moment ago. Okay, first of all, we've looked at Satan is bound in verses 1 through 3. Now let's look at the saints of God reigning in verses 4 through 6. And this is just absolutely delightful. Verses 4 through 6, we look at during the millennial reign, the saints of God. Remember Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, I promise to you who overcome, you will sit on thrones and you will reign with me. Who are these people reigning? Well, we know they're the tribulation martyrs, but we also know that it's the people of God that come with Jesus when He comes and sets up His reign. It's the people of God who have been saved and been faithful on earth during the Great Tribulation, those who lived through those horrifying, catastrophic days. So they are now placed in positions of ruling and, and leadership. The Tribulation martyrs, they are mentioned again. Don't you love that? The Tribulation martyrs. Guys, it's amazing. Even this day, the day of the Lord, October the 11th, 2015. There are brothers and sisters all over this globe, and many of them will give their lives for Christ today. Not just among the ISIS, the, the crazy, radical, do you talk about demon-possessed? You don't believe in demons? Look in the eyes of an ISIS fighter, saturated with the demonic. In North Korea, believers, our brothers and our sisters in Iran, Middle East, Af North Africa, they, it, it's, it's not a stretch at all, is it? That there will be tribulation martyrs during the great tribulation because we have tribulation martyrs during our generation. Verse 5, it says, the rest of the dead, um, the rest of the dead, the unbelievers who have been sentenced to hell and they are awaiting their assignment. The rest of the dead, listen, by the way, in verses 12 and 13, these people are very much alive. That They are just waiting. They're not going to reign with Christ for a thousand years. Listen to this. If you don't know Jesus, you don't get to reign. You don't get to live here on this earth, this amazing earth for a thousand years. You're consigned in hell awaiting the great white throne judgment. And John says, blessed are those who get to participate in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. Remember that, verses 4 through 6? What he's saying is, the first resurrection, you are raised with me. All believers from all time come here on planet earth from Jerusalem and reign with Jesus Christ. If you take premillennial 
historic or, or dispensational premillennial, and you believe this to be a literal fulfillment, and I do, then we reign with Christ for a thousand years. The second death, the second death is the death. It is the eternal death, the lake of fire for Satan. That's, by the way, who it was created for, the devil and his angels. But those who resist Christ, who are determined to resist Him, God's only remedy. They know, I don't want it. Okay, then, then you get what's coming. You get to go to hell. That's what you wanted. You didn't want Christ. You didn't want to surrender your life to Him. And so Jesus says, you have cast the die. You have made your decision. That's where you will go. Now, the second death has you. But those who are raised with Christ in this millennial time, we're reigning with Him. Second death has no power over us. You've heard this. Let me see if I can get it right. Most of the time I get it twisted, but let me see if I can get it right. You're born once, you die twice. You're born twice, you die one time. Meaning, if you're born one time physically but never spiritually, you'll die physically, then you will die spiritually forever. But if you're born again, if you recognize, listen, I am a sinner. There is an eat. Listen, listen. I know there is an evil in this world because it pulsates in my life. It's real. I know the faults I think. I know the dastardly deeds that I do. I know there is a powerful evil, and I want release from it. How do I get release from it? Would I do a little humma humma meditation? No. Do I go to Muhammad? No. Do I go to Hinduism? No. Do I go to Joseph Smith? No. I go to the Son of God. I go to Jesus Christ and say, shed your blood over my soul and cleanse me, O God. That's how you're born again. Now listen, you say, if you do that, you're you're free, you're saved, you you go to heaven. If you don't, you go to hell, period. It's not very popular, I know. I know it's not popular. I'm talking about politically incorrect. I think my little picture is by the dictionary, you know, politically incorrect. There he is. There's his face. Listen, you cannot preach this and have everybody like you. You cannot preach this and have everybody in agreement with you. You cannot preach this and expect people to throngs to come and hear you preach about this. Because the devil hates it. But Jesus, hallelujah, he wins. And because he wins, we get to win with him. He says we will reign with him as priest. And I look at it like one writer said, think about it more of enjoying continual access to God and continual intimate fellowship with Him. The third thing I want to share with you, and thank you for being patient and listening to my nasal, crusty self up here. My chest is ah, full. Number three, the satanic rebellion is crushed. Here comes this rebellion, 7 through 10, and God crushes it once and for all. So who are these people, Brother Danny? Who, who are the people that are going to be deceived by the evil one when Jesus Christ himself is ruling on planet Earth? And again, guys, I, I, honestly, I, I, there's an element of mystery here to me. I don't really understand. One writer points out, he says, and this helped me some, he says, the children of those who enter into the millennial reign of Christ, not all will follow Jesus. The first generation obviously will, but they will have generation after generation to the point that it will be a vast number. And this writer says, sad to say, unbelievers will exist in very large numbers among the generations subsequent to the one that populates the earth initially in the millennium. These will be fair game for the devil's deceptive campaign, end of quote. 
from the four corners of the earth does not mean that the earth is flat. It's just saying, um, oh, there's a word for that. I'll think of it later. It's a really cool theological word. I can't think of it right now. But it's, it's, it's kind of like, not hyperbole, but it's phenomenological. That's it. That's it. Phenomenological. Phenomenological. Seven syllables. It means it's a phenomenon that it may not exist literally, but, but it exists in our mind. In other words, we think of the four quadrants, north, south, east, west. Okay, so it's from the four corners of the world. In other words, he's saying from everywhere, from all over the planet, there will be amassed this one final upheaval, uprising of the evil one surrounding the saints of God in Jerusalem. Now, some of y'all looking at me and say, I believe that's already happened. Okay. See, I'm, I'm more of a historic. I'm more of a preterist. I'm more of an all-mill. I think all this is, has happened, Brother Danny, and, and I don't think we, that, that I just think it's happened. I'm okay. That's good. I, I respect that. I, I don't. I disagree. I just think it's still in the future. Hey, listen, whether you're right or I'm right, we love Jesus, we win. <laughs> we win. It's just that if you don't know Jesus, you lose. If, you don't have, if you're not born again by His Spirit, <clears throat> you lose. Listen, God does not give you a test to get into heaven as far as what is the premillennial historic position? And you go, I haven't a clue. Eh, go to hell. No. That's not how it works. You're you, you all going, whoo, amen, because I, I can't put, process all this stuff, brother. I'm floating around going, what is this? No, you just say, and if God were to say, why should I let you in heaven? As soon as, as, soon as he says, I'm going to say Jesus, he's going to say, bingo. Jesus is, is right. That's the right answer. I love him. I served him, and he is my king, and he saved me, me. I mean, he washed me clean. I couldn't do anything to make myself clean. But Jesus did. That's, that's the right answer. The satanic rebellion is crushed. Here you've got Gog and Magog. Those rascals are mentioned again. Now, Ezekiel 38, 39 talks about Gog, a, a title, really like general. Gog means like general or leader. Magog is a place. Now, this is going to be a little upsetting to some of you, and y'all going to be a little upset that y'all know that I actually believe this, but I actually do believe this. Magog is Russia. When you look at it on the map, it is the Soviet Union. It is Russia. And somehow, in some way, I believe they're going to play a pivotal part in the eschaton and the end days, and they're going to be the enemies of God and the enemies of Israel, and I don't trust Putin as far as I can throw him. My great-great-grandfather, great-grandfather, Samuel Isaacs, 97 years of age, lying on that deathbed, and actually lived on to be 99, and he's a, uh, oh, just a precious man of God. One of the first graduates of Southwestern Seminary, I was like, wow. He wrote multiple hymns in the old hymn books about the second coming, and he started raising his finger, started preaching. I was 17 years of age in Lawton, Oklahoma, and I was looking at him going, Shazam, God's about to come get him, and I'm just making me nervous. He just started singing and preaching. He said, watch out, Ezekiel 38, 39, watch out for Russia. God will grab them by the hook of the jaws, and they will come against his people. A general, no, a colonel in our military said two weeks ago, I heard him with my own ears. He said these words, Putin is in the Middle East, and he's there for a reason. His goal is not just Syria. His goal is to march all the way across to the Mediterranean Sea. Well, guess who's right up against the Mediterranean Sea? That would be Israel. 
I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if it all just went down in our generation. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised at all if one day I get to meet or at least get to see with my eye the Antichrist. I really believe that. Now, I may not. Listen, we may live another hundred years, a thousand years, whatever, other generations. I mean, it, I'm, I'm living with the sense of eminence, not necessarily immediacy. Eminence means it could happen at any moment. And, and I think that's the writers of Scripture. They say, yes, have that mindset that, man, this could go down at any moment. Jesus says, watch and pray. And Paul and John and James, they all say, watch, watch, watch out, because it could happen at any moment. And if we live with that mindset, what kind of lives will we live? We'll live lives of urgency. We'll live lives of compassion. We'll live lives, talking about being a good neighbor, man. We have this sense of urgency. <laughs> That's what Agent Rogers said in, in the end. I'm supposed to quote him. Let me go ahead and quote him now. He said, let me tell you something. The reason I know that you really understand the book of Revelation is not because you take notes and there's Martin writing in the margins or every word is underlined. No, he said, the reason I know that you understand what Revelation's all about is because you go and share the gospel with everybody. Ooh, that's good. That is a good word, because that means that you believe it. And you believe it so much that you will say, hey, listen, what if we're wrong? What if all of this is just a, a, a fantasy? And when we die, that's all. Well, listen, we, we, we should still serve Jesus. I mean, he, he's an awesome person, and we get to live and, and love God, love our neighbors. If it's none of it's real, and then we're deluded, and, and, and we did all this witnessing and preaching and evangelizing, and it, it goes to nothing. But what if we're right? <laughs> what if we're right? What if God is right? And it's all true. And Jesus is all that He says He is. Hallelujah. And, and all those martyrs who've died for their faith, it's all not in vain. Glory to God. What if it's all true? You get it all. <laughs> we get it all. Heaven, eternal life, the joy of being in our Savior's presence. Verse 9, Jerusalem, the beloved city, is completely surrounded. The people of God are outnumbered. And yet, one final time, God comes through and He wins the day. In verse 10, He defeats Satan and throws him in the lake of fire. This unholy trinity, it says in verse 10, will be tormented day and night forever and ever. I've written this as if it's my own words, but I really think this is another Adrian Rogerism. It says in my notes, the devil is sailing a sinking ship, and all those who reject Jesus Christ are on this ship of doom as well. Get off. <laughs> Get off of that ship. Some of you this morning, let the truth be known. You're having a hard time wrapping your mind around these great eschatological end times events. You're having such a hard time because you're so consumed with the immediacy of the hour, the day. Some of you are battling cancer. Some of you are battling a hard, difficult marriage. Some of you like the precious uh, Lemon and Callaway family. My, my heart's just been broken for you as Jeff Lemon has gone on to be with Jesus in heaven at the age of, what, 49 or 50. And, and maybe you're here today, and you're like, Brother Daniel, I, I can't even begin to get my mind around these great things because I'm so consumed 
with the temporal and with this ugly world in which we live. Every time I turn on the radio, turn on my computer and the television, there's some, what, somebody else is killing somebody. And some other army's rising up and, and some other disease has now been discovered. I, I, just, I just don't know. I just don't know if I can make it. Let, let me speak to you for just, just a moment, okay? Just a moment. Priscilla Shower says, my boys love to wrestle. And they're big boys. They're only like 12, 10, and 8, or whatever their ages are. And she goes, now used to, we used to wrestle, and I'd just pin them, just laugh, say, mama's bigger than you, stronger than you. She said, I can't do that no more. She said, my boys are big. That 12-year-old, that 10-year-old, but we'll start wrestling. Boom. They'll put me on the couch, and they'll just look at me and smile, and they laugh, and they just cackle. And she's like, oh, I just can't win. And then she says, all of a sudden, they flee. They leave me alone. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? The, the kids are on me, and now they're away from me, and they're heading out the door. In through the door walks my six-foot-three husband, amen. He walks in the room, and those kids go, bye-bye, and they, and they leave, you know. And she said, that's the way it is with Jesus. Man, the devil pins us down. He is stronger than us. And his demonic hordes, they, they keep us down and burden us with all kinds of temptation, all kinds of difficulty, all kinds of worry. And who knows, all in the heavenly places, the things he manipulates and works to our doom. But man, when we release ourselves to Jesus, let, let, me, let me close with this. I had a guy tell me this in college, and I'm, and I'm done. This, this is a good word. I hope this encourages you. I don't think I've ever shared this with you guys. Can y'all hear that? That's the devil knocking on the door of your heart. And you open up the door and say, hey, and you do battle with him. You know, get after it, you know. And you walk away and you're just, you're just wiped out and whipped. He does that time and time again. Same story, same conclusion. You just rise up and go at him. I'm going I'm to pray more, man. I'm going I'm to go to church more, man. I'm going to give more money, man. I'm going to overcome you yet. And you keep doing that, and he keeps eating your lunch. Here's what I need you to do, all right? Here's what I need you to do. All right, I get my water, and I get my Bible. I'm almost done. Watch this. Knock on the door. You know who it is. And right before you reach the doorknob, you stop. Say, Jesus, get the door. Amen. <laughs> he gets the door. <clears throat> and the devil says, whoa, wrong house. I think I'll leave. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray and have our invitation. God bless you. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you that you win, Lord. You win, you win, you win. And because you win, we win. Much more than a Donald Trump, goofy Donald Trump win. Lord, this is the real win. This is us winning because Jesus Christ reigns. And, and we know you, Jesus. And because of your victorious death, as we sang a moment ago, because of your resurrection and because what we read in your word that you're the triumphant king, because we know you, we win. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, my friend. Oh, my sister, my brother, if you're here today and you would say, I am not on the winning team, I am still bound up with sin and issues, addictions and problems, and really the problem is I've never totally surrendered my life to Christ. Let me invite you to do that today. 
I mean, really, I invite you at this very moment. What have you got to lose? Here's what you got to lose. You got to hell to lose. You got a, a difficult, troublesome addiction to lose. You've got enormous weight of shame and guilt. And so you can lose all of that. You can put it at the feet of Jesus on the cross and say, Jesus, help me give you my life today. Would you do that? I believe with my heart there are many who need to do that right now. Let us help you do that. Listen, that's why we have these pastors and these deacons and these counselors, these biblical counselors. We want to take you by the hand. We want to help you. We want to encourage you. Listen, God will do everything except take the first step. If you take the first step, then watch what God will do. He will whisk you down this aisle. He will envelop you with His arms of love. He will give you forgiveness of sin and peace. Child of God, saint of God, hang in there. I know it's hard. I know this world is troublesome. But listen, you're on the right team. You're on the right path. God loves you. The Bible says if God is for you, who can be against you? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. So I'm encouraging you, child of God. Don't be overwhelmed. Don't get under the avalanche of the bad news. Just say, Jesus, I'm trusting in you. Trusting my marriage to you. Trusting my church to you. Trusting my life to you. Listen. You're in good hands. If you're here today and you'd say, Brother Danny, I need a church, man. I need a place I can come and I can hear the Word of God and I can sing His praise and then I can go out and live for Jesus and live a radiant life, then why don't you come? Why don't you step out out of your, your pew there, walk down the aisle and just say, hey, this, this is where I need to be. And we'll take you and we'll encourage you and build you up and send you out. Father, thank you for our time of invitation. Most important hour, Lord, of this week. Now we're in the most important time. As you draw people to yourself, Lord, would you do it? Would you do it, God? Lord, set the captives free. Encourage, Lord. Save, oh God. Add to your church. God, do everything that you want to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? God bless you as you stand. Some of you need to stand up. Come on down. Do business with the Lord. Let us encourage you. Let us help you. God bless you as you come.